Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. It's not often you get to introduce your boss, but Peter is a principal at Malian Theological College, and he's got the honour as well of, of preaching our final sermon in the Luke series. So this has been going for years, Peter. So, okay. Um, it's good to be. No, no, it's uh, great that you can, can share at the, at the end. Good, uh, thanks for realizing. You know, I'm, I'm really glad I've got the right passage, actually, because I looked at it the, earlier last week and I thought, okay, end of Luke, all right, so I better get stuck into that. And then I'd almost finished and I thought, I hope I've really got the right passage. So it sounds like I have, so that's a really good start. Um, Pauline, thanks so much for the children's talk, too, by the way. That was a real blessing. Um, as I listened to you, I thought, probably not really much point in my preaching this morning. That was, that was good stuff, but thank you very much. Uh, look, it's, it's a privilege week by week. Uh, most weeks I get to preach at other churches, um, mostly in the southeast. But a couple of weekends ago, I was up um, in Townsville. And so we took a, a Jetstar flight. Oh, can we put that picture up there? Oh, it's coming. Oh, yes, it's coming. All right. So it's, it's coming. Yeah, okay. All right. So we took a Jetstar flight up to... Um, to Townsville. Did I say Cairns? I did say Townsville. Okay, all right. So anyway, it was, it was a, um, that, they decided they were going to um, make the most of it. So between the two Baptist churches in Townsville, they had a program for me. Let me tell you, man, they kept me going. Anyway, but we, we get on this jet star flight, and I don't know whether uh, any of you fly uh, very often or whatever. We don't do that much flying, but whenever I get on jet star, and they begin to give the, the safety announcements about the brace position and that. Every time I get on a Jetstar flight, I think, why did they tell us about the brace position? You're already in it the moment you sit in your seat. The seats are all so close, you can't move anyway, you know. And so, uh, so we're kind of on the flight there. And um, so Wendy's beside the window, I'm in the middle. And then a young lady came and sat down beside me, and, and that was all cool. And so I thought, look, I'll, I'll pull out my Bible, and I just want to go over my message notes for the weekend, you know. So I'm sitting there and, and just going through uh, the, the passages that I'll be preaching on. And um, after a while, the young lady says, excuse me, do you mind me asking what you're doing? And I said, oh, well, I'm just on my way up to Cairns, uh, not Cairns, I'll get get it right now, Townsville. And I said, I've got to share a couple of times over the weekend in a couple of churches. And she said, that's really interesting. She said, I really love it when I see people who are serious about their faith. I thought, this is a really interesting conversation. So I said, so are you a person of faith? And she said, well, yes, I am. She said, actually, I'm a Muslim. And I said, right. I said, that's really interesting. And she said, yeah, I've just begun to really get serious about trying to read my Quran. And she said, I've grown up in a Muslim family, but she said, I'm reading it. And I just, I find I end up with so many questions. And I said, oh, that's really fascinating. I said, you know, it's interesting because there are so many verses in the Quran which are almost identical with verses that we find in the Christian Bible in both the Old and the New Testament. And I didn't tell her that I actually teach a course on Christian ministry in Islamic settings. Anyway, so, and, so, uh, and I'm sharing this. And she said, is that true? And she said, you know, I, I think basically we believe the same thing. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not actually sure that we do. And I said, so, for example, I think we have a very different view about the person of Jesus. And I said, you would see Jesus as a prophet. She said, yeah, that's right. And I said, but we believe that Jesus is actually God's son come into this world. He is God himself become flesh and lived among us. And uh, and then I said, 
And, and, and you, you Muslims, you don't actually believe that Jesus died on the cross. And she said, no, no, we don't. And I said, no, you don't believe he died, but you do believe that he was taken back to heaven and that he's coming again. She said, yes, you're right. And uh, I said, yes, all right. I said, but, you know, we believe that Jesus did die. And we've just been thinking about it, haven't we? We believe that he died. And the reason that he died was that God doesn't just arbitrarily offer the forgiveness of sin, but our sin actually has to be paid for. And God decided in Christ to come and to pay the price for our sin so that he could rightly offer to us the complete forgiveness of all of our sin and give to us the assurance of eternal life. So we had about a half an hour conversation. And by the time we were landing in Townsville, she said, you know, that's one of the most remarkable conversations I've ever had. And I thought, oh, Lord, how good are you? Just to open up an opportunity like that, just to share. And what she didn't know was I just kept quoting scriptures to her as I was sharing the gospel. You know, as, we, um, as I introduce the subject for this final message, it's about witnessing. And I don't know about you, but I sense that for many Christians, the moment we start to talk about witnessing, people suddenly begin to feel either guilty or wholly inadequate. And please don't talk to me about witnessing because um, I was having a good day until now. Don't talk to me about witnessing. But I want to suggest to you that in these closing verses of Luke's gospel, we see Jesus as the master witnesser. And I think he has so much to teach us about what it means to have an effective witness. So I want to just take you on these concluding few verses, and I want you to journey with me. We're going to pick it up at verse 39, at least that's what Mark gave me as a starting point. Verse 36, I beg your pardon. It says, and while they were... Still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And in these concluding verses, we need to understand that this starts now in verse 36. This is on the Resurrection Sunday. So much has already happened on this particular day. You remember that earlier in Luke 24, that earlier that morning, the women had gone out to the tomb. Remember that? And they get out to the tomb and they discover that the the tomb is empty. But following on from that, they have this angelic visitation where the angel basically says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. This incredible reality that we've just sung about. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. And the angel says, remember what he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. And after that, we find that the women race on back to the 11 to tell the 11 about what has happened. And then we discover that two of them, Peter and John, have the, the race out to the tomb. And John is a bit quicker than Peter. It always ticks me off because whenever I used to get into state finals, I always came second, never won. Comes with a name, you always come second. And, and so John gets there first, but when Peter gets there, he dives straight into the tomb and sure enough, it is empty just as the women had reported. And so they return. But then we discover in Luke 24 that later the same day, Jesus is found walking down the road that leads to Emmaus. And he comes across two of his 
disciples, one named Cleopas and the other simply the friend. Some have speculated it might have been Mrs. Cleopas. I don't know. But Jesus begins to talk to them. And as he talks to them, he begins to witness to them about his own resurrection. We read in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And what he does is that he actually takes the scriptures and he begins to apply the scriptures to their thinking, to reveal to them the truth concerning himself as they walk along the road. And then you'll recall that they then stop and they invite him to join them for dinner. And suddenly we're told that even as he shared the scriptures with them, verse 27, uh, sorry, verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. What a moment that must have been, do you think? To suddenly realize that you're in the presence of the resurrected Savior. Hey, many of you I know have had a moment just like that. You actually haven't seen him with your physical eyes, but you've suddenly realized that you are in the presence of the risen Christ. That kind of changes everything, doesn't it? And so these, these excited couple race on back to Jerusalem to tell the 11. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He's right there in the middle of them, there in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but I reckon I would have been fair freaked out, don't you? Here suddenly is Jesus right in their presence. Peace be with you. Um, I suspect that that was a very reassuring word. But I want to say it was more than just a reassuring word. It was more than just a greeting. You know, for Muslims, they have a greeting that says, Assalamu alaikum, which basically means peace be with you. But this is not a greeting. This cuts to the very heart of the gospel. This is the gospel of peace. This is the good news of peace, how we can actually know peace with God. How? Through the resurrected person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in our place, and was raised to life again. And suddenly they are confronted by the reality that Jesus really is alive. And this absolutely changes everything. But then Jesus proceeded to do with the 11 what he'd done with the two on the Emmaus Road. And that is, he begins to share with them a witness from the word. You see what Jesus does there in verse 44? Let me read it to you. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. You know, when it says that Jesus spoke to them about everything that was written about him in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He was actually drawing attention to the three major categories of the Jewish Old Testament or the, their Jewish Tanakh, which is the same as our Old Testament. It was broken up into three major categories, 
the law, the prophets, and the Psalms or the writings. And what it's basically telling us is that Jesus goes to every major section of the Old Testament and begins to reveal to them the truths concerning himself. One of the things I love about teaching Old Testament is that it seems to me that Jesus is inscribed upon just about every page of the Old Testament. And we read the Old Testament and it just keeps pointing us relentlessly to the coming of the Lord Jesus. And so we're told there that Jesus opened their minds. He told them, this is what was written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day and repentance and forgiveness for sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You know, Jesus wants them to be really clear about what is absolutely essential to the gospel. The fact that Jesus not only died, but he was raised to life again. If you, if you take the death of Jesus, but you don't have the resurrection, you haven't got a gospel. There is no hope. There is no hope for you or for me if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. And my young Muslim friend sitting with me on the plane, she didn't believe that Jesus had actually died and was raised to life again. And I've got on my weekly prayer list now, and I'm praying every week that God will do his convicting work. He'll take the truths that I shared of his word, and he will so plant them in her heart that she will not be able to escape them. So he wants them to understand the essential of the gospel is that Jesus not only dies, but he is risen to life again. And then he gives to them the other part of the essential of the gospel, that repentance and forgiveness must be preached throughout all the world. You see, folks, when, we, when it comes to the gospel, we've got to understand that God is looking for a response of the heart. And the only right and proper response of the heart is genuine repentance. And God delights in that because God then is able to give complete and full forgiveness and restoration. You see, for there to be an effective witness to the gospel, we must be prepared to share the truths of God's word. Remember how the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, Romans chapter 10, where he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Somehow or other, we have got to bring the truth of God's word to bear on the minds of others. But you know, it's one thing. It's one thing in one way to open people's minds by sharing the word. But I want to suggest to you that there's something else that's required. And that is what I call the witness of the Spirit. And Jesus, I think, in this passage clearly alludes to that. In verses 48 and 49, Jesus goes on to say, you are witnesses of these things, and I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. What was it that the Father had promised? Well, Jesus tells us quite clearly in John's Gospel that the promise would be the coming of his Holy Spirit. Listen to John chapter 14 where Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus said the Spirit of truth is going to come. And the Spirit is going to do a work. Listen to what he says in chapter 16 about the Holy Spirit. He says that when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt 
in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. It is the work of the Spirit to do both the convincing and the convicting that is needed in the hearts of people to respond to the gospel. And Jesus says to his disciples, just you wait. You go back and you wait because I am going to be sending to you what the Father has promised. And when the Spirit of God comes, he will be the one who does the convincing. He'll be the one who does the convicting. In fact, later in John 16, Jesus says that the Spirit will bring glory to Jesus by taking what belongs to Jesus and making it known to you. You see, it is that convicting work of the Spirit which not only opens people's minds, but opens people's hearts. And we need the witness of the Spirit to do that, don't we? That is only something that he can do. I love where in Acts chapter 16, I think it is, where the Apostle Paul goes to Philippi and he goes to the little river just outside of Philippi on the first day of the week. He finds a group of people gathered there and he begins to share. And as he does, it says that the Lord opened Lydia's heart. Only the Spirit of God can do that. But you see, that's the work of the Spirit of God. He actually does that work. This is a work that only he can do. And so that's why the promise is given in verse 49. I'm going to send to you what my Father has promised. Folks, says, there's something wonderful about all of this because it reminds us at the end of the day when it comes to witnessing, it's not just about me trying to convince or persuade people about their need of Jesus. There is one who does the work in their hearts, and that is the Spirit of God. But having said all of that, Jesus also wants them to understand that his design and purpose is that his followers might actually share in the task. And that's you and me. His design is that there would be a witness from his people, that his people would actually participate in this witness to the world. And I want you to understand that what Jesus is saying, he says, you are witnesses of these things. He's not actually inviting them to become witnesses. Do you, do you hear that? He's basically saying, look, you are going to be witnesses of these things. Quite literally, how it reads in the original is, you being witnesses of these things. It's not like a question or an invitation. You're going to be witnesses of these things. And I want to say to you, once you and I have had a truly life-transforming encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, we cannot help but be witnesses to him. Our lives and our words will automatically overflow and shout out the message of Jesus. But Jesus wanted to remind them, as I believe he wants to remind us, it's not as though he simply left it all up to us. 
And I think so often this is part of our reason for feeling guilt the moment we talk about witnessing because we kind of figure that it's all up to me and, oh, I haven't done it. I haven't done it again. I've missed an opportunity. Um, I, I, I'm not in the right space. I can't, I can't get the words out like I should. Now, Jesus says, I want you to stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You might remember in Luke's second volume concerning all the things that Jesus began both to say and to do in the book of Acts in chapter 1. He reminds us of Jesus' final words before his ascension back to heaven where Jesus says, but you will receive power. The word there is dunamis. You will see this incredible power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Jesus says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth. I'm not sending you out on an errand to do this on your own. You've never been asked to do this in your own strength. And yet sometimes I think that's the way that we look at witnessing. As if we've been given a directive and sent on our way and we think, oh man, how do I do this? I love the words of Warren Wearsby. In one of his commentaries, he says this, witnessing is not something we do for the Lord. It is something he does through us. If we are filled with the Spirit. And you know what? I think that takes the pressure off us enormously. When we recognize that witnessing actually is not about me trying to do it good for Jesus, or so I can tell enough people at church so they think, yeah, he's doing a pretty good job. He actually just simply does it through us as we are filled with his Spirit. What a blessed privilege. But look, there's one last thing. There's one last thing I want to draw your attention to in this passage, which I think I think is so often the forgotten key to witnessing. This effective key comes in the concluding verses. Let me read them to you. I'll read from verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he, lift, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. You know, the forgotten key, I think, on so many occasions is that it is the worshipping community who becomes the witnessing community. And if we really want to know what it is to be an effective witness for Jesus, we've got to know what it is to not just be a worshipping community for an hour on Sunday. We need to know what it is to genuinely and really know what it is to live a life of worship. Where my life is constantly lived in awe and wonder and delight in the person of Jesus. We find that so easy to do when we come together on Sunday. We sing some of the delightful worship songs, such as we've done this morning. Man, that's good, hey? 
But if that is the extent of my worship, it might actually be part of the reason why I struggle with witness. But if my life is lived on a daily basis of knowing the intimacy with Jesus that draws out from my heart a continual stream of worship, you know, the real essence of worship is not just the words that come from our lips, it's the surrender of our hearts and our lives. And if I am living in a place of worship, then I will discover it is the easiest thing in the world to be open to God, to be a witness. We got on that Jetstar flight, and frankly, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get on a flight and I just want to shut out everybody else around me. And I was really happy just to get my Bible and open my Bible and just to have some time with the Lord. And, well, the Lord tapped me on the shoulder by a young lady who interrupted my train of thought. Do you know, I think the more we understand what it is to live a life of worship, God will be continually tapping us on the shoulder. And he will open up opportunities for us to give such a beautiful witness to the reality of the things that we've sung about this morning. That God has sent a saviour, one who not only died for our sins according to the scriptures, but was raised to life again so that through repentance and faith we might enter into that life that he came to give. Man, we've got a world out there that is just absolutely so confused about what this whole journey is all about, where it's going. And we hold the key to the truth of the gospel. And my prayer for myself, my prayer for you, is that we might be such a worshipping community that witness will just so flow naturally, we'll actually end up doing it without even realising it. Because God is so at work among us. Would you join me in that prayer? Heavenly Lord, we come and we thank you again for your word. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, we thank you that he came and he died in our place. As Peter says, the just for the unjust, so that we might be brought near to God. Not only did he die, but he was raised to life again. We've sung it this morning. and We say thank you, Lord, that we serve a risen Savior, as the old hymn used to say. And Lord, we want to say thank you for the promise of his blessed Holy Spirit who has come to take up residency within us. But, oh, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to learn increasingly what it is to be a worshipping people, that the worship of our lives, the surrender of our lives to you day by day by day might be such that we cannot help but live lives of witness and find that our mouths are only too happy to share in witness to the saving power of our Lord Jesus. Lord, may many more come under the conviction of the Spirit of God because we, your people, have been prepared to live as faithful and effective witnesses to our risen Lord Jesus. Hear our prayer, we humbly ask. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. 
Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing, intergenerational, and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.